AI has become an integral part of cybersecurity, not only on the defender side, but unfortunately also on the attacker side. We had a 320% increase in cyber attacks in 2019. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind Machines in the Great Descent. Thanks that you tuned in again to listen and to geek out with us over the fascinating field of AI and the role of human. We are Uli and Abari, your hosts for this episode, and we're super excited to welcome our today's genius mind, Jan Pospisil. Jan is the head of AI and security analytics at Siemens Technologies Cyber Defense Center. Jan wants to shape digitalization through cybersecurity and combines an open mindset with a software development competence. But I guess that's enough for an introduction. So let's dive right into it. Jan, we're super happy to have you with us today and that you are taking some time off your busy schedule to be the guest on our podcast. How are you and where do we catch you today? So thank you, Aubrey and Uli, for having me on a podcast. I'm very happy. I feel fine. And in times of pandemic, you, of course, catch me in the home office. Where else? <laughs> yeah, where else, right? So, Jan, we've met actually also in previous previous roles and responsibilities you had, right? Um, prior, actually. And, you know, you were always yeah. driven by uh, analytics, actually, and, and data and data centric. And now you're somehow heading the cyber defense, right? Especially I. That's That sounds pretty dope. Uh, nice, right? Head of AI in, in Cyber Defense Center. That's the hot task. Maybe, you know, what exactly are you doing? And and how did you end up at this kind of profile? Um, you know, is is was was it always, you know, software and cybersecurity? What is always, you know, some kinds of the aspirations? Yeah, so probably let me answer the second part of the question first. So how did I end up in this job? To be very honest, accidentally in 2017, I think it was 2017, I was working on industrial manufacturing problems like predictive maintenance, quality improvement, and digital twin, when somebody from Cyber Defense Center knocked on my door and asked me to help him with some problems. Um, that year, cybersecurity attacks increased by several factors, and it was obvious that the attackers had upgraded somehow, or not somehow, but heavily, and we're relying more and more on automation and also possibly on the first beginnings of AI. So mm. they, they don't tell you really what they do, right? <laughs> uh, this guy from CDC explained me the use case, some basic on the tech techniques, and provided me with data. Good luck. Uh, and it turned out that certain AI methods respond to that use case very well, and I could help them to detect certain types of attacks. Mm -hmm. And to be very honest, I became fascinated by cybersecurity, and I changed my job. Mm -hmm. So my today's job, or better, the job of my team, you can divide into three areas. So the first is the automation of cybersecurity processes, where my team supports our cybersecurity analysts or let me call them cyber hunters, through automating their triage processes with AI-boosted dashboards or AI-supported pre-processing of data. The second area of application is 
the detection of, let me say, possible attacks in very fast or high data volumes processes. What do I mean with that? In our corporate network, there are infrastructures that produce cybersecurity-relevant events at a velocity of approximately 30 to 80,000 events per second with the corresponding amount of data. And this is, of course, beyond human perception, and such amounts mm -hmm. can only be processed with the help of AI. Mm -hmm. The third area or the third application class also has something to do with problems of human perception, namely with the fact that human perception is simply unsuitable for detecting patterns in high-dimensional data or inside very noisy information. So that's it, data with a very low signal-to-noise ratio. And AI, for some reason, is very good on this topic. Yeah, you, you catch me already, right? Where can I apply? <laughs> every everything every, you know everything sounds pretty pretty awesome and dope right for everything who's somebody who's really into you know machine learning methodologies and data right that seems to be a nice nice relevant not playground it's a wrong term right but it's it's a, a great application area in modern times yes and you have enough data by the way <laughs> <laughs> Uli, we still need you on the podcast yeah, you can just right. switch <laughs> so jan the current pandemic pushed quite some tension on the flexibility of an organization and therefore also on its employees and suddenly everyone was working remotely in home office and um, suddenly everyone was relying on a completely different structure so from a security perspective what challenges do you see that arise through these kinds of transitions Yes, so almost everyone currently follows the COVID-19 pandemic so more since more than a year or something like this, and for good reasons. Mm -hmm. But we will see in retrospect another pandemic will be remembered for 2020 as well, the cyber pandemic. So if you see uh, certain assessments, for example, the assessments from Interpol, they show that the impact of pandemic on cybercrime is critical on remote infrastructures, on central infrastructures, on everything. But targets have shifted from individuals to governments, major corporations, corporations, and critical infrastructures. Probably one example is the attack of the, on the Florida water treatment plant approximately two months ago, where hackers tried to adjust the level of sodium hydroxide of drinking water to a dangerous level. I am not a chemist and I can't tell you how dangerous it is really. Mm. And fortunately, there was an employee observing this and stopping the attack, but that was pure coincidence. And this was only possible because there was a remote link open. Also inside Siemens, we observe a strong increase of spam and phishing. Some persons reported to me an increase of about 300% of attacks. But in CDC, we are still in comparatively good position. Our CDC and CERT have proven to prevent most of the attacks. And in the rare cases where attackers could compromise servers, we were immediately able to isolate them and disable the malware. Even most of the people work from home, our protection level is still high. That's probably different to some universities, to governments and things like this. I'm, to be very honest, I'm a little concerned 
of small businesses, governments, and public infrastructures with small IT budgets, which could not afford to have their own teams. And mm. um, maybe I think there probably should be more corporations between public and private sectors if you want to fight threats effectively. So that's at least my opinion. Because it, it means that, um, you know, you need to have some kind of competence center in, in a corporation by itself in order to, you know, um, react fast and be acknowledgeable? Or why do you think, you know, these kinds of collaborations should work? So I think if you cannot build up your own uh, competencies, which is, mm -hmm. to be very honest, very expensive, only big companies can afford this. Mm -hmm. So you need to have at least somebody who helps you. Uh, in the detection of attacks or threats. Mm -hmm. So collaborations, I thought, in that sense that uh, certain companies which are specialized uh, to the type of detection of attacks can help other companies which are not specialized to that. Mm. All right. So we, we've run project also together, right, in a lab somehow. Yeah. Um, and I know that your your team, which is super, super awesome and super nice, is actually all anyway distributed right somehow so um, yeah. despite of the pandemic right how, how are you and your team actually dealing with this distribution Had, has anything changed or would you say like hey, folks we 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 worked as as a virtual setup anyway in the cdc is that yes so um by the way it was a lot of fun collaborating with you in the ai lab <laughs> <laughs> so my team was not that spread out as it might have the impression. The only one who was not located in Lisbon is me. <laughs> Meanwhile, we all... <laughs> <That's> are... <laughs> <Yeah>. I know. <laughs> That's true. Okay. So, but uh, meanwhile, we have also colleagues in Madrid and London. So mm. we are spread out anyway. And all other guys are in home office. Mm -hmm. uh, the current situation makes it difficult from several points of view, I think. From collaboration point of view, you know, on your own from your data science background, how often you lock up in a room, stand close with your teams at a whiteboard, scribbling down charts and developing formulas together. And then after a long lab session, the solution comes to your mind when sitting together over a beer in a pub in the evening, mm -hmm. right? That's right. Yeah. So um, despite of many technical coups like Teams, concept board, and all this stuff, you don't reach this level of creativity, mm. to my opinion. F and from the sense of belonging together of the team, it's a disaster, to be quite frankly. Um, we had to onboard new killer colleagues remotely. We didn't meet them personally up to now. Mm. And also for the other colleagues, we had to introduce proper rituals to keep them somehow together, for example, we split it up, work packages more than necessary and distributed tasks among more team members just to force increased communication and to ensure that no one works alone on a single task. Um, this ensure, of course, forced communication between the team members. So that's the sense of that, right? Yeah. And... We have also introduced virtual pub events, virtual cooking events where colleagues share an after work beer or cook gnocchi together in front of the webcam. This was a, a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, it does give you the feeling of a pub visit 
But the advantage of it is this, that you don't have to drive home after drinking a beer, right? <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah, I, I strongly agree. Like um, those personal interactions, they're really missing and nothing can um, substitute the after work beer, like the real one. And <laughs> so, Jan, um, I stumbled upon a quote um, by Stefan Napo. And he said, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and a few minutes of a cyber incident to ruin it. So when was the last time you felt this few minutes momentum? <laughs> the question is not fair, but yes, you are so true. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Cybersecurity service can be seen like an insurance sometimes or in a mm -hmm. certain respect. You pay for it, but hope that the emergency never occurs, right? But if the emergency occurs, you expect the insurance company to limit the damage and to solve your problem as quickly as possible. Um, cybersecurity services are very often viewed similarity by customers. If you fail to deliver on this promise, the customer will not only turn away from you forever, but will also tell the rest of the world about it and ruin your reputation maybe on social media and everywhere else. Mm. This task is, of course, difficult. A hacker only needs to be successful once. And I'm so happy that I never had to experience such a situation, to be very honest. When I joined the CDC in 2017, I found such a professional experienced team that has kept away any major incidents from the corporate network until then and still does today. And to be real honest, I tried to make my contribution to it as good as possible. <laughs> so no, no hard, no, no hard attack <laughs> because no. of incidents. No, no we have always way. minor incidents where a group of people probably get compromised by a malware or something like this. But mm. this, this was always the team always could limit it to only a few computers mm. and immediately shut down the whole attack. So uh, that's really cool. Yeah, you just described that you made quite positive um, experiences and that we at Siemens are um, apparently quite successful with that. But how can um, organizations in general positively embrace the challenge of cybersecurity? What can companies do to really start? And do you see any interesting business models that are arising that you can maybe share here with us and the audience? How does a cybersecurity go-to-market strategy looks like? Is there a one-size-fits-all proposition? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think the best way to embrace cybersecurity positively is not to see it as an insurance, as I mentioned previously. What I mean is when companies think of cybersecurity, they usually think of hackers and data breaches and so on. But that's not the full story, actually. The total damage from a cyber attack amounted from cyber attacks amounted to approximately i think 100 billion euro in germany in 2020 and actually the real costs came with loss of productivity and the loss of intellectual property and foremost the loss of reputation hmm. as you mentioned previously right we had this topic previously um it takes 20 years to build a reputation a few minutes to ruin it 
Mm. Um, there are two ways how to embrace cybersecurity. The long way and the short way. The long way is to build up an own team, build up cybersecurity infrastructure, hire cybersecurity experts. Uh, this may be the right way for large companies as it could be exactly shaped for the needs of this company. On the other hand, it's expensive. It may take years as cybersecurity experts are rare and do not grow on trees and infrastructure has to be built up. Um, only large companies can afford this. The short way is to buy a service from an experienced cybersecurity partner. Let the partner decide the, uh, design the service specifically for you and let them do the 24 by 7, 365 days a year hard job. Mm. And probably allow me to insert a little ad block here. <laughs> so <laughs> Siemens CYS is currently going to market with cybersecurity services for industrial customers. Uh, we have been always asked by automation customers to protect their production facilities where we already do the automation. What could be more obvious than that the world market reader of industrial controls also offers security for customers' systems at the same time. Um, but even if a large customer wants to have his own setup, a security operation team himself, he can also have security products from us for this use case, e.g. cybersecurity suit, which is a product we lately developed and going to market with that. So we are specializing a lot of OT plans, of course, but also for the regular uh, corporate environments, we will shape some products. But it's most of them are still in process. Yeah, I didn't know that. To be honest, right? We we obviously no product place, but uh, I didn't know that that you did you, you, you. It seems to be so natural that all the competences. I see that in many any businesses and, and um, you know the divisions, uh, let's say, or um, you know individual units, let's say, right? That they say like, hey, actually, these expertise provided to internal folks. Now we you know get challenged maybe, but also you know have it have it exposed and also being collaborated or offered to to the external folks. Uh, quite nice, love that. I guess that will pick up quite significantly. Can you maybe can you share? Right, we we we've had a bit of coding sprints also together in, in the past. But can you can you share and then explain a bit um, on the role of AI at the cyber defense area? A couple of use cases maybe you work in or excited about? Yeah, sure. So first of all, this was always a lot of fun in the AI lab. I remember the long night sessions we had together and going to the Victualian Markt for lunch and for dinner and for a beer later on. <laughs> so I think that was an excellent incubator for all kinds of AI use cases and projects we did together. Mm. Um, but to answer your question, AI has become an integral part of cybersecurity, not only on the defender side, but unfortunately also on the attacker side. We had a 320% increase in cyber attacks in 2019. This is not because there are more hackers growing on trees, but because attacks are becoming more sophisticated, more automated, um, more with the use of AI and things like this. Mm. On the other hand side, there are some very good examples how AI can be utilized in cyber defense. Um, a very good one is the detection of phishing. 
Phishing is still one of the main entry gates into corporate networks. I don't know if you know that, but it's I think there is around 65-70% happens through phishing. And, but you can recognize phishing with the help of AI, specifically uh, with natural language processing algorithms. Recent development. So phishing, phishing, phishing means I got an email yeah. and somebody said like, "Hey, my name is you know a very famous person. Yes. Please click here." Right? This is the phishing. Exactly. My name is something like your boss or something like that, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. please provide me with this information or click on this link or click on the attachment and things like that, mm. or pay me an amount of one thousand or five thousand or ten thousand dollars on my bank account following here. Mm. So and. It turned out that the text used there is not completely random. So recent developments in transformers like BERT models, GPT-3 models, and all other variations like Roberta have proven to detect phishing very reliable. So we are heavily using this. The downside of these models, of course, is that you have uh, heavy compute times. Therefore, you have to go usually to the cloud because on-premises, you do not usually have uh, the hardware for that. So user and entity behavior analysis is also a very good example. Software applications often come with their own identity access management or resource management. Therefore, it is hard to identify attacks on operating system level. Um, there is a much better chance to detect them on application level, for example, in application logs. What you can do here is to model the normal behavior of users, how they behave and what resources they access in usual times and look then for deviations. A deviation may be a malicious activity, a malicious access to certain resources or heavy use of resources and things like this. This also works very well. A third example may be um, OT networks. OT networks are special in certain in a certain way. Um, there you often see pretty old hardware, pretty old software, PS leaks like the programmable logic controls, S7 are very reliable. So why to change it, right? For example, the life cycle of the industrial control system can be 20 to 25 years, which means that you may be dealing with very old software. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen, just to interrupt you. So I've, I've, yeah. seen, I've seen most recently an image, somebody is opening after 20 years, um, you know, um, somehow the, the control room with everything super dirty and, you know, a spider web, you know, everywhere, right? Exactly. The system was running. Exactly. <laughs> right. So I guess also the software was back in the days on the stone yeah. age, right? The, you, you, well, well, you know, the CEO of the, of this, of this business, you want to say like, hooray, right? And, and share it. <laughs> with the nets right you must say like oh no <laughs> right? still still running i guess you know uh, <laughs> yeah i guess these things run forever and yes in addition to that problem uh, plcs usually run with special operating systems for which no uh, edge detection and response exists so also colloquially known as virus scanners so the only possibility to defense or to detect attacks or threats 
on an OT network is probably passive recording of network traffic and look there for anomalies as well. Of course, this is a huge amount of data and you can prevent systems from being compromised with a mixture of anomaly detection and looking for known attack patterns. Uh, and anomaly detection is, of course, a prime discipline of AI. Yeah. In many cases, actually, right? Yes. Yeah. And so, if you, if uh, what's what's interesting is, you know, if you move uh, and pilot, right? You explore and then you exploit. You do ship a pro, you know, pilot, and then you want to push it to productive, right? And it's exactly that piloting to productive, right? Um, shipping that on, you know, an AI first, and I think you know you've you've mentioned already, right? It's not a single capability you need to ship productive but you know your high performance 50 60,000 events per second right what what kind of challenges right from your experience what are the typical hurdles but maybe also best practices that you have when you do this journey from you know pilot product you know explore piloting to productive can you share a bit is there a different investment ratio is there a different you know how, how do we, how do we overcome this proof of concept craziness so I know exactly what you mean. I remember you asked me once to do a presentation exactly on that topic to mm. how we get from POC to production, right? Mm. So actually, I still see a lot of AI projects fail because people just try to throw random algorithms on some data and hope to find the big enlightenment or something like this. <laughs> uh, so there's actually to set up a project properly nevertheless in which domain you are in uh, takes a lot of steps and never starts with the data science to be very honest so with a POC on the data first you have to select the right business or use case with a relevant business impact then you need to find the right team so if to my opinion, first and foremost, you need a sponsor who should be as high as possible in management. And he should also feel responsible for, for the project. Um, and he should not only be possible or responsible for the money, but also for pushing the project in the right direction and communicating the project results to level one and level two management. And you especially should let this guy define what is success for the project. Otherwise, the team hunts for something what is not relevant to the management in the end. Mm. Uh, the team, which is necessary also during the first POC phase, um, has to be very multi multidisciplinary. It should be guys from domain, from the business, probably a guy from BA, a data scientist, a data ops guy, and also an IT ops guy. Then provide the team with uh, enough time for experimenting, learning, iterating, assure their availability in time and traveling. Then you'd you get the first time in contact with the data. You need, of course, high-quality data, and continuous data supply with the latest data, not only an Excel sheet or a CSV file with a single data sample. You need a significant amount of data. Um, you know that especially deep learners require lots of data points. And... Then you start the POC, hopefully with the help of the AI lab, of course. Uh, 
<laughs> Kudos to that. <laughs> so we, we are full of product placement this time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and during the project, you you should constantly keep care of whether the use cases are still suitable or if you should modify or replace them. Mm. You should focus always on the success criteria from the sponsor and always asking back if you, has, if you have still or if you are still targeting to the right uh, results. Mm -hmm. Productization, that's one of the hard things, of course. There is a really big gap usually between a POC and a productization. So AI lab usually acts as an incubator only, right? That's your job. And after this, you first need a suitable infrastructure where you operationalize the use cases. That may be the first hurdle. Uh, second hurdle, you need to mirror the expertise from the AI lab team into your own team. You cannot live without that. And you have to be aware that operationalization is a completely new project, which usually takes much more time than the POC. The ratio here is usually around one to five. So if your POC takes two months, so your operationalization usually takes something around 10 months. So that's pretty long usually because you have to care about uh, automated data ingestion, ETL, elasticity, automated model performance evaluation, retraining, automated A-B testing for the models, automated notification and visualization and things like this. So it takes an incredible, incredible long time around the core machine learning part. Yeah, thanks. Can you can you can you guide us a bit a bit more closer on the engineering side, maybe on the operational side? How does the engineering look like? So, is there um, what is the infrastructure? Is that everything cloudish? Is it, you have your own data center? Um, yeah, you mean specifically on our infrastructure? Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. so. Yes, so our platform is one hundred percent on Amazon managed services. Uh, these services which are usually managed by AWS and not by us. Mm -hmm. There are some good reasons for that. The first reason to go to the cloud is the nearly unlimited availability of compute power and which requires specific hardware like GPUs for training of the AIs, mm -hmm. which is usually extremely expensive if you buy it on your own. Uh, we use, for example, SageMaker services for the task and run our code on TensorFlow and PyTorch. And this requires a lot of GPUs usually to train the models. Mm -hmm. For us, it was also important to choose elastic services which grow and shrink with the amount of data or with the event rate without being touched by our operational team and which mm -hmm. also is paid per use. So it was important for us to have services. If we don't run data through it, we don't pay it. Here we use right. services like Firehose, Stream and Ingestion Engines, Lambda and Glue as data pre-processing and transformation engines and so on. Um, we didn't want to install, manage or scale own software or virtual machines. Instead, we wanted to do AWS the job 24 by 7. What we do explicitly on our own is encrypt our data properly, of course. We don't want mm -hmm. to see anybody else the data. Mm 
Um, the platform currently holds approximately two petabytes of data, steadily increasing, of course. You mentioned it, we operate on a rate of 30 to 80,000 events per second, uh, which are all run through our inferencing backends, by the way. So it's a really huge load on the whole system. That's uh, super awesome, isn't it? Right? Not, I, I can tell you, not many business units have these kinds of awesomeness. <laughs> At least from a geeky perspective, right? This is super, super nice. Yeah, uh, it's cheeky, right? <laughs> so, Jan, what role does data then in the end really play in this whole construct that you just described? And what would ideally a CDC data strategy look like and what would be the focus? Yeah, so the easy answer is data is our world. <laughs> the only way to observe the environments we want to protect is data. You get that get data from firewalls, application logs, proxies, and so on. You can use historic data to analyze attack strategies, to observe malware, lateral movements, data exfiltrations, communications of malware with malicious internet hosts, and much more. So without data, no way to do our job properly. At the same time, data is our most critical asset. So um, you see somebody is logging in, which documents he is working on and all this stuff. Therefore, we encrypt all of our data. We encrypt it for each customer separately. We regularly exchange keys on the data. Uh, we do backups on a regular basis and we make the data analyzable and searchable, of course. So I was, that's our whole strategy. <laughs> data is in the center of all. And don't lose it, don't disclose it, and make it searchable. Yeah, nice. So, um, and as we, I think if you look at, at, at most, most uh, companies, then a lot, especially in the manufacturing field, a lot of them are in this, uh, I would say, the cloud-first right movement. So moving still... Um, from from the operational shop floor towards the the cloud initiatives, but on the other side, you see already the trend back right the next five years moving from cloud to the edge, and that means all the compute, all the data rising, are uh, being done on on the edge level, right? And that means also IT to OT, right? And you mentioned already that there is you know a bit of discriminating and different different perspectives, let let's say, right? There is this movement to the OT area. What challenges and opportunities do you see in the in this cloud to edge environment in the IT OT bridge? Yes, I agree with you. I also see that trend. So we moved to the cloud from the first moment on due to good reasons. And now that we see certain movement back to the edges, especially in automation environments. So edge and OT are somehow connected in our business. Automation always takes place on the edges because we cannot tell the manufacturing process, hey, wait a minute, the internet link has broken down and then continue with manufacturing. 
And additionally, there are also problems with the response time, of course, for an internet link. Sometimes I think the guaranteed response time from PLCs, especially from the S7s, is two milliseconds at least or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so our so there is, of course, a difficulty. Our AI systems are located in the cloud due to the necessity of compute power. And we have the automation process on the edges. This brings, this brings basically two problems. Cybersecurity, technically, it is the combination of cloud security and on-premise security. Uh, with OT, there are also special automation network challenges, special protocols, and things like this. Um, and also, the system has a high demand for availability, so you can usually only observe it passively. And there are also other problems. AI, technically, the inference has to be brought to the edges for mm-hmm. similar reasons, of course, for reaction mm-hmm. times, velocity reasons, and things like this. And the trick here is mostly by transporting the machine learning models to the edges and making the inference either in special devices or directly inside the automation equipments. This helps in certain cases as well. Um, I think the opportunity for Siemens here is that there are not too many other companies who can combine all worlds. We own the automation hardware and software. We know the special automation protocols and we know the attack patterns in all worlds. Mm. There is little competition, especially from the cybersecurity perspective. Uh, that's a closing. No, <laughs> that's not close. So, but uh, you know, okay, I give you a challenge, right? So, if we if we look a bit further down the line, right, we see, uh, you know, we can foresee quantum, you know, quantum computing leaps quite a bit and substantial maybe, and and builds up also quite a substantial threat. It, because if I look at quantum, obviously you you can say, all right, it's it's super, you know, maybe t- twenty years ago to go, right? Sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes. Um, I hear hear signals. You know, we are we are more closer. I'm not sure, right? But for me, if I look at quantum, the first use case is like, okay, hey, they gonna you know they hack the world out of us, right? Because nothing is then future proof anymore, right? How do you see that? You know, what does quantum, the quantum leap to large organizations? Any thoughts on that? Yes. So. We are talking about threats on big organizations. Uh, you're talking about things like breaking today's cryptography algorithms, like public mm-hmm. key mm-hmm. algorithms, like elliptic curve and things like this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so about a year ago, I had the opportunity to program a quantum computer on myself. So Ooh. it was <laughs> a lot of fun. But... Even simple algorithms are complicated to implement, at least Mm -hmm. nowadays. Mm -hmm. So it will be easier in the future for sure, but today it's a pain in the ass, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition, the range of values of numbers was irrelevant for breaking current cryptography algorithms because you had something like 10 bits numbers or anything like this, so it's really useless. But on the other hand side, development of quantum computers is progressing rapidly. Uh, but what I see right now are the 
some research going on on post-quantum cryptography algorithms, which are quantum computer safe according to the current state of the art, at least. Something like lattice algorithms, hash-based algorithms, and things like this. So I think we are already heading towards the solution of this problem. Um, but the major effort will be more in the implementation and the distribution of the new algorithms like in routers, in mail mm -hmm. service and things like this. So this will take a while and I hope we start uh, early enough to really be ready for this when quantum computers are really able to break nowadays uh, cryptography. So exciting times ahead, right? For sure. For cybersecurity, definitely. <laughs> Always. <laughs> So, um, Jan, we are already um, at the last question. Time was really flying with you. So, um, you've been um, at different places. You work in a globally dispersed team. Um, you've seen uh, many initiatives, been part of many initiatives. Um, are there any lessons learned that you maybe may want to share with young talents out there who are willing to make a difference in large corporations? Yeah, I don't know if they want to really to listen to my lessons learned, but anyway, I, I try something. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So personally, I have a few suggestions or general principles, not only, but for mainly for younger talents, maybe. So I think they persistently should pursue new path and try to ignore all solutions, especially. Then they probably should develop a, pass a passion for everything you do. Um, from my perspective, work and life does not have to be a contradiction. I know that I may be at odds with modern work theory, like work-life balance and things like this. Mm -hmm. But you spend half the day in your job, so you should therefore enjoy it at least. Um, They should also focus on value of solutions they offer to somebody else. So value is always the key to impress somebody. Mm. And my favorite suggestion is never stop learning. So a large part of the knowledge that I need for my work today, I never learned at school or at university, and I had to learn it on the way. So that's my most important message, I would say. So true, so true. Yeah. I love that. Never stop learning. <laughs> and um, But we have to stop with this session because uh, we already talked a lot. But before we finish this episode, we want to play Authentic Autocomplete with you. That's our final game. So um, I will just give you for the closing five sentence starters and you will just finish. Jan, are you ready for the final game? Almost. <laughs> almost, almost. Okay, I, I take that. So Siemens is... Um, a company that is opening up a lot of opportunities for young, ta young talents around the globe. I Ooh. love that. Cybersecurity is? Of course, important and increasingly important topic for individuals and companies. As many criminals have discovered cybercrime as their main business model, right? On the other hand... It's one of the most fascinating research areas I've been working in. Beautiful. Innovation is? 
Um, the basis of the success of any company like Siemens and the basis of prosperity in every society. And from my point of view, everybody should drive innovation. There you go. Love that. Nice one. And the world should have more of. Um, the world should have more of. That's a good question. <laughs> Young talents, probably. <laughs> Nice. Love that, yeah. And the last one, but that's a quite tough one, but we will pose it anyway. So if I could invent a rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be? Wow, that's a tough one. So you want to save me the world, right? Yeah. So there are so many... You do what you have to do. Yes. Yeah, you... <laughs> <laughs> so there are so many answers To that around, I don't know, justice, equality, uh, turn off the mobile phone in the cinema and things like this. Uh, but maybe my most important rule is make yourself and anybody else around you happy. That may be not deeply philosophic, but it probably helps. <laughs> yeah, do more that makes you happy. Love that. Thanks so much, Jan, for, for spending <laughs> this time with us um, and, and sharing this insight. It's it's magnificent. I'm, I feel very honored that, uh, you know, uh, to, to know you actually have interacted with you and uh, I hope we keep keep on doing that uh, further and I'm sure, right, you, you turn even, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in the cyber defense out that is in a, in a prosper, you know, also business, but also with a great passion and a great team, you know, having fun on that so thanks very much for joining us thank you very much it was a pleasure being with you on the podcast and folks out there stay bold committed and open-minded and we hear us definitely at the next siemens ai podcast cheers mm -hmm.